Y'all hear me? Can you hear me through here? Yes. Okay, uh, hello, hello. Yeah, kind of faded out. hear me okay yeah. awesome cool well thank you for uh, for having me I'm really excited to be here um, I was in town a couple weeks ago with my wife and two kids um, they were unable to come uh, but we are gonna be moving here uh, as Pastor Craig said we're gonna be moving here next month Lord willing maybe August um, we're really excited uh, to be a part of what God is doing here through this church and what God's doing through uh, you guys in JB so um, with that being said, I'm going to open our time in prayer, and then we will get into the Word, okay? Father God, you are so righteous and just and good and so kind. And Lord, we need your grace each and every day, Father. We depend on you and you alone for we are weak and you are strong. And Father, I am here this morning um, before the people that you love, that you gave your life for, and that is sufficient news for us today. And God, we just pray that um, it is your word that is magnified, Father, that uh, as I speak from your word, Father, that, um, that in my weakness, um, you would be magnified and that... Um, you would just help us to see Christ magnified, help us to see your word, um, and let that be enough. Lord, I just pray that we would be changed this morning. From your word, what a privilege it is to praise you, know you, and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we are going to be reading from uh, the book of Romans. So Romans chapter 15, I understand last week there was also a, t uh, a sermon from Romans as well. So we're going to go to the end of the book of Romans, Romans 15, and we're going to be reading uh, the verses 14 through 21. So that's Romans 15, 14 through 21. I would encourage you um, to grab a Bible if you can on your phone, one of the Bibles in the back. Um, we are going to be in the text today, kind of verse by verse, so uh, in order for uh, this message to really take root in our hearts. We want to follow along in God's word together. Um, so that's Romans 15, 14 through 21. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. So this is the word of the Lord. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Well, this passage is a rich passage. It's one of my favorite passages in all of scripture. Um, some would call it the most missions-rich passage in all of the Bible. And uh, it's a passage that is absolutely sufficient for every single one of us in this room today. Um, it's sufficient for all Christians. And I think uh, God wants us to take something from this message. Um, and so it's my prayer um, that this text would just really encourage us to continue forward in the mission that God has already called us on. I've heard many, many encouraging uh, reports about this church and what God is doing through it and the faithfulness in the gospel. So really what this text has to say to us today and what I have to say is nothing new. It's nothing novel. It's just really um, an encouragement to push forward and, and carry on in what uh, we're already doing here. So that's my prayer. Um, I have really one kind of anchor truth that I want you guys to nail in your heads. Uh, if you don't remember anything else, just remember this. Um, and this comes from the text. Um, and it is this. All Christians share a grace-fueled desire to get the gospel to the nations. Um, this is something we're all familiar with. So all Christians share a grace-fueled desire to get the gospel to the nations. So today we're going to look at the way Paul addresses these first century, these early church believers in Rome. And we're going to discover three ways from the text that this proposition is true. We're going to discover three ways that Christians grow in zeal for global gospel advancement. Uh, and these three ways, this is going to be sort of my outline. And these, three, these are the three ways. Knowing the gospel, so Christians know the gospel, they boldly proclaim the gospel, and then they boast and glory in the gospel. So knowing the gospel, boldly proclaiming the gospel, and then glorying or boasting in the gospel. So let's, uh, let's start with verse 14, okay? Let's look at verse 14 here. Um, Christians knowing the gospel. In verse 14, Paul writes, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. So let's keep in mind some context here, pretty key. Paul has never met these believers. He's just written this masterful letter to these churches in Rome, and he's never met them. He's really just going off of reports that he's heard. Um, Paul is really busy planting churches in the Mediterranean world at this point, and really because of his, his ministry, the gospel has already gone ahead speedily through his work and has already reached Rome. And there are already churches in Rome, established, mature believers, maybe like this congregation, people that know Christ and love Christ. And Paul has heard awesome things about them, but he's never met them. So he's just going off of encouraging reports that he's hearing, and he wants to, he wants to encourage them. So he says that you guys are full of goodness. So what does Paul mean by this when he says you're full of goodness? I think we need to be really careful when we hear this because uh, we might hear it the wrong way. Um, 
if you guys know anything about the theology of Paul, one of the key theological points that Paul really holds on to be champions is justification by faith alone, which is salvation by faith alone, not by works. And so Paul is not encouraging these believers, not saying you guys are filled with good goodness. It's your good works. I want, to, I want you guys to uh, know that your piety is seen and I want you guys to boast in that. Paul is not saying that. He's not trying to stroke their egos. He's not trying to set them up for pride uh, to grow in them. Um, you remember early in the letter, Romans 3, Paul starts nailing down what sin is, the doctrine of sin. And he says, none is righteous, no, not one. That's a quote from Psalm 14. He says, no, none is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not even one. So he says that in Romans 3, and then here in Romans 15, he's saying, hey, Christians, you're full of goodness. That kind of, I think if we hear this the wrong way, we might think, is there a contradiction? What's going on here? Well, Paul is not contradicting himself. Um, he's actually referring to the goodness of Christ in them. Um, they understand, he's heard, he's heard much about these Christians, and he's, he's assuming that they know Christ is their goodness. They trust Christ as their sacrifice. They trust that they've been cleansed from all of their unrighteousness and that uh, they're believing in the resurrecting power of Christ. And so he's encouraging them along in the righteousness that is in them that is Christ's righteousness, not their own. So he's not, he's not trying to get them to self-boast. The goodness that Paul is speaking about here has to do with their faith in the gospel primarily. And that faith is bearing fruit in them. And so church, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but my church that I'm a part of, I, I, I live in Penang and I go to a church and I want that to be known of my church in Penang, that they are filled with goodness and righteousness. And I know that this is the desire for this church, that when we go other places, that the reputation of this church is that they are full of goodness, the righteousness of Christ, that they are bearing fruit in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces, uh, with their friends and in this church. Um, so the question that we have to ponder is that, is that the type of goodness that uh, is, um, is that our reputation here as a church? And is it giving glory to Christ? Um, so we move on and Paul says, um, they are filled with all knowledge. So he says, you're full of goodness. And now he says, filled with all knowledge. So that's kind of interesting, right? Full of goodness, filled with knowledge. So what is, what is Paul saying here? Is he saying that they're all knowing? They know everything there is to know about everything. You guys are set, you're good, and you're knowledgeable. You know everything. It's definitely not what Paul's saying here either. Um, he's actually referring to their knowledge of the gospel. Um, Tom Schreiner, in his Romans commentary, he says that this word knowledge that Paul uses should be understood comprehensively in terms of spiritual realities. So in other words, Paul's referring to their theology, their knowledge of the gospel, goodness of Christ, knowledge of the gospel. So Paul's saying, I've heard, you've been instructed well. You know your, your stuff, you know the gospel. Um, and you've had faithful leaders investing in you, faithful teachers and preachers. Friends, I, I know that that's the case here. Pastor Craig and other ministers that have come through have, an instru have instructed you well. And so um, you have this knowledge as well. And this is not the knowledge that stays in your mind, stays in the storehouses of your, your brain, um, but this is a knowledge that uh, humbles us and transforms us and results in worship. 
Um, I was thinking on this idea this week, theology. I, I love reading theology and theological books. And so many times um, I have to remind myself that this knowledge that I'm putting in my, my mind about Christ should produce in me worship. If, if it's just staying here, then something is missing my heart. It's not undergirded with the gospel. Um, one of the great theologians, uh, J.I. Packer, he says this about knowledge. He says uh, about theology. He says, theology is for doxology, worship, and devotion. That is the praise of God and the practice of godliness. It should therefore be presented in a way that brings awareness of the divine presence. Theology is at its healthiest when it is consciously under the eye of God whom it speaks, and when it is singing to his glory. I love that. This, too, I have tried to bear in mind. So, folks, what, what are we doing with the knowledge that we've been giving? Perhaps some of us need to grow in our knowledge of the gospel of the word. I know I do. Um, so Paul is telling us that, Paul is telling them, I'm encouraged by this knowledge of the gospel that you have. And he goes on and says, they're also able to use this knowledge and instruct one another. Um, you guys see that word instruct in the passage. So these Christians are being disciples. They're doing iron sharpening iron, Proverbs 27, 17. They're doing the soul work necessary for their growth and godliness. They're encouraging one another. They're discipling one another. They're confessing sin. They're repenting of that sin. And they're growing in Christ. Um, and I know there are relationships like this in this church. So let's press on. This is a serious task we have to build up the church in the gospel. Ordinary church members able to instruct one another. So that's the main point here of the first point. Christians knowing the gospel produces an ambition in us to get the gospel to the nations. So knowing the gospel, now let's move on, boldly proclaiming the gospel. So knowing the gospel, now boldly pro proclaiming the gospel grows in us a zeal to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. Verse 15 and 16. Paul says, but on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So immediately in this verse, you see two reasons why Christians boldly proclaim the gospel. First off, Paul says by way of reminder. This is Paul's ministry, reminding. He's being honest. He wants to tell them what they already know, which is what this sermon is. Sometimes I think we're like, oh, I've heard that topic before. I've heard that sermon before. I've heard the talk on missions. We need to hear it over and over again. This is a ministry of reminding each other. And so this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, I want to do this by way of reminder. He uses a Greek word for reminding, which is eponymimneskon. That literally means to over-remind. He wants to annoy them with the same truths that they've already heard over and over again. So that's fascinating. I think it's amazing that Paul... Uh, he's just, he's got this posture of humility and he's saying, look, you know these things. I want to tell you these things over and over again. John Piper says, one of the great enemies of hope is forgetting God's promises. Reminding is a great ministry. Peter and Paul wrote for this reason. So the people of God, we've always had this ministry to call each other to remembrance of the truths that we've already known. We need them each and every day. And uh, it's, it's really important to do this. I think about the, um, the, old, the Old Testament. I think about the Israelites. You guys remember the Israelites? They were delivered out of Egypt. 
Uh, God is doing amazing things for them. He's guiding them in the wilderness. Manna from heaven, quail, water, anything that they need, God is providing for them. And he's reminding them of their promises. But what happened to them? They didn't immerse themselves in the truths of God and the truths of his word. And so they were very quickly carried away by the desires of their flesh. And they were very quickly forgetful of God's promises. And so that's, that's the same. We are susceptible to the same thing happening to us today. We need these truths over and over again. We need to be in the word. We need to be reminded daily. Uh, another reason why Christians boldly proclaim the gospel is because of God's gift of grace. So look at the end of verse 15. Uh, Paul says, this is why I'm able to speak boldly. Because of the grace given to him from God. Because of the grace given to him from God. What a gift. What a gift that was for Paul. Let's, let's remind ourselves about Paul, formerly known as Saul. This guy was like the ISIS commander of his time. I mean, he was systematically hunting down Christians. Uh, you remember the, the story in Acts, the stoning of Stephen. Stephen is stoned. He gives this amazing testimony of God's grace in the gospel. And then his garments, after he dies, his clothes are laid at the feet of Paul. Paul hated Christians. And the grace of God saved Paul. I mean, we have to remember how impossible it is for dead hearts to rise without the grace of God. This is Paul. This is Paul's testimony. It's the grace given to me by God, which is why I go out and boldly proclaim the gospel. Let's remind ourselves that this grace that Paul experienced, this grace that Paul has, um, has set him free, this is the grace that has saved us. I think about my life uh, before I, I came to know Jesus, and I was a hater of God. I hated God. I hated Christ. There was no way that my heart of stone would have resurrected itself. I needed the grace of God. And so when I hear Paul speaking of the grace that's given him motivation, this is the same grace that motivates me to go out and proclaim the gospel boldly. Um, Paul goes on uh, here to say he also boldly proclaims the gospel to participate in the priestly service of God. So guys, look at verse 16 here. Paul says he does these things by God's grace to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Um, when I read this verse uh, at first, I was, I was a little bit taken back by the language Paul was using. He says priestly service. And I thought that was sort of strange. Um, when the old covenant uh, system of priestly sacrifice, that was done away with. But Paul's then employing that same language, Old Testament language, to describe his, his new work here. So I'm, I'm wondering why he's using sort of this cultic language uh, to describe his ministry. And as I studied more and more, I realized Paul is appealing to metaphor. He's using this language um, to really pay homage to what God has done in his life and what God is calling him to. Um, and, and now, instead of being in the temple, Christ is the high priest. Christ is the final sacrifice. And the temple is now really like the harvest fields. This is where Paul is actually presenting his, his offering, which is his labor in the gospel, to the Lord. So he's using cultic language to say, hey, Christians, we are called to a priestly sacrifice now, except our work is not done in the temple. It's done in the harvest fields. And so I just really thought that was fascinating to see he's using this Old Testament language. You guys remember the Apostle Peter? 
he uses this language as well. He calls the Christians, the body of Christ, a royal priesthood. And so even though our high priest is Christ, we are all still priests in the kingdom of God. And that is amazing. And so the work that we do every day, getting the gospel to those who don't know Christ, this is a priestly uh, duty. And it's amazing that we, we get to be a part of that. So church, knowing that we are royal priesthood, we now carry forward that duty that Paul speaks of here. We remind one another of the gospel, right? We remind one another. And now we're proclaiming it to the lost. And we want the lost to now join us in this kingdom of priests. So that is an amazing privilege that we have to do that. So Christians can foster a zeal for gospel global advancement by knowing the gospel, boldly proclaiming the gospel. And then we get to our final point here, which is glorying in the gospel. So another word is boast, boasting in the gospel. Um, let's look at verse 17. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Uh, other translations, um, he says, therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Or, in Christ Jesus, therefore, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, that word, therefore, is really important. This is sort of kind of a basic principle of reading the scripture. Whenever we see the word therefore, we want to ask, what, what is the therefore, therefore? It's this Greek word, un. It's really important, and we can skip over it if we're not careful. Well, the therefore typically signals um, that there's a connection between this verse and the verses that come before. So what did Paul just say? Paul just said before in the verses preceding that he's been called by grace to get the gospel, uh, to participate in the priestly service of the gospel. Therefore, because of that, because of that, I am now proud of my work in Christ Jesus. So the therefore is locating his, his boasting, locating his, his um, glorying uh, in what God has done, not in his own work, not in, in his own uh, accomplishments. Uh, we look at verse 18. Paul continues to provide reasons for his boast. He says, for I will not speak, venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. So let's think for a second about what, Paul, what Christ has accomplished through Paul, okay? One man who was formerly a persecutor of the Christians, one of them all dead, in a crazy way converted on the road to Damascus. Very soon after that, he is then getting the gospel to the very people that he once hated. And then look at how God used this one man. This one man, many, many people think he, he, he wasn't very eloquent. Uh, he had maybe physical infirmities. But God used that one man to then get the gospel to the known Gentile world. At the time, Paul didn't know what was beyond the Mediterranean region. But God used him to start churches in all of these cities, multiplying churches that are now doing other ministry, so Paul accomplished much. If, if you were to look at his accomplishments from a worldly perspective, you would think, well, Paul has a lot of reasons to maybe boast in his own accomplishments. I mean, look at what God has accomplished in him. Look at his ministry. It'd be like equivalent today to a church that's uh, started and it's planting other churches. It's growing very large. It'd be uh, very tempting for those pastors to look at their own accomplishments, right? 
But Paul is very hesitant to do that. He wants to boast in Christ and Christ alone. Because he knew that Christ accomplished a miracle in him at salvation. And so because of what Christ has accomplished in him, he can now think about what Christ will accomplish through him. And so we have to have that very same mindset. Before we think about what God is doing for uh, through us, we need to think about what he has done in us. And so uh, I thought it'd be a good time for us as a church to just take a few steps back and boast in the gospel, to remind ourselves of the gospel real quickly, that God saw fit in his love and kindness to stoop down into his creation. God condescended. He came to us as a man. It's just phenomenal. He stooped as low as becoming one of us. He knows uh, what it's like to be a man. He knows our pains. He knows our sadness. He knows our anguish. It even says in the scripture that he knows our temptation. Yet he did not sin. He lived the perfect life that we could never live. And then he went to the cross. And what happens there on the cross? It's the great exchange, right? He gives us his righteousness, takes our sin, the punishment that we deserve, the wrath that is deserved to be poured out on us. Christ takes it on himself. And then he's put in the grave. He resurrects, comes and shows up to all uh, his followers. They get to see this and behold the glories of this event. And then he ascends to the Father. And he's not just up there. You know, it's not like he's just exited the scene. He's up there right now interceding for us. The Bible says that he's praying for us right now. So when you and I sin each and every day, those of us who have embraced Christ, even though we still stumble in many ways, and we fall and we sin, God is not looking at our sin. He's looking at Christ's righteousness in us because he's interceding on our behalf. This is the gospel. This is the glorious good news. This was Paul's only hope. This was Paul's only boast. This is why he did gospel work to the point of death. This is why the other apostles, they took the gospel to the ends of the earth, willing to die for this. This should never get old. This is the gospel. We need this each and every day. We need this each and every Sunday. So I pray that this is something we remind ourselves of. For, for those of you that haven't really grasped the gospel, maybe it doesn't make sense to you. Um, I do pray that you would just keep coming, keep coming to church, keep being around the people of God. You're going to hear the gospel over and over again. You might be annoyed of it, but I believe in the power of the gospel that it can change your hearts. And I believe that it can open your eyes. It does as it pleases. And so keep coming, keep hearing the gospel. And I pray that the Lord would open your eyes and that you would turn from living your own way and embrace Christ, embrace the gospel. Well, as we boast in this reality, um, let's also boast in the gospel because God not only has saved us, but he does accomplish work through us. So God actually wants to use us now. He wants to use us as his means to complete the Great Commission. So look at verse uh, 18 and 19. Paul talks about the means by which God will use him. He says, by word and deed, by the power of the signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. Uh, And then he goes on and says, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So um, that's the means by which God uses us, by word and deed, um, signs and wonders, the power of the Spirit of God. Uh, And God used Paul, so he plans to use us 2,000 years later. We are ordinary, insignificant uh, pieces of dust, 
but he wants to use us. He wants to use what is weak to shame the wise. We have the power of the gospel in us. So uh, let's continue to think about how God wants to use us. It's amazing. Um, well, we see Paul was faithful. Paul was obedient to this calling. So much so that he says, my ministry is fulfilled. Now, I think this is really interesting because we know that his ministry uh, is not really fulfilled. So what is Paul saying here? I mean, Paul, he comes into these places. He starts churches. Uh, he raises up elders. And then he says, my work is complete. Well, we know that's impossible for Paul to have completed his work. Think about the cities that he went to take the gospel, Corinth, Ephesus, all these places. They're large cities. Of course, not everyone in those places heard the gospel. So what is Paul saying? Is he saying, I'm done here. You guys are reached. I'm moving on. Well, Paul, Paul's definitely not saying that. Definitely not saying that. That would be like saying uh, this, this neighborhood, Bukadinda, is reached because this church is here. So we can move on. Uh, Craig can go elsewhere. That doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Um, there are so many lost people around us. I just had breakfast here at this little hawker center over here. And I was just thinking as I was eating there, wonton me with all the people, I was like, man, probably most of these people, which how many yards away from that church, uh, how many meters away from the church, a couple hundred meters, they don't even know the gospel. Like probably a lot of these people in here don't even know Christ. They don't even know the gospel. So there's much work to be done in JV. And there was much work to be done still in the Mediterranean world. So what is Paul saying here? Paul says in verse 20 and 21, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So for Paul, Paul had a strategy of reaching the nations. Paul's strategy was going to key cities, key port cities, planting churches in those cities strategically. So think about JB or any other big city. He wanted to go there, start churches, and he wanted them to do the work of the ministry. And then Paul thought, well, God has called me in a unique way to go to the edges of the field. So Paul thought, hey, I'm going to go to the ends of the earth, which at the time was like beyond Rome. So Paul's writing to the Romans here and he's saying, I want to come to you I want that to be kind of my base. And then together, we're going to go to Spain. Spain was the ends of the earth at the time. And so Paul felt like he had a unique frontier missions calling to go to the edges of the field. Um, and so that is definitely uh, a key part of the Great Commission. So here we are 2,000 years later, over 2,000 years later. Um, we know that Christ has not returned. So there's still work to be done. Paul didn't reach the whole world by himself, uh, but he did go to the edges of the field uh, during his time. And so I want us now, 2,000 years later, to think about the unique um, dynamic that this church has in a city like JB. Um, this is a very strategic place. Um, Malaysia as a whole is so strategic. They say it's truly Asia. I think it's truly the nations. Uh, come to JB and you see so many different people from um, the nations. Uh, unreached peoples that have not, that we've been strategizing to reach for years. God is bringing them to JB. I meet Nepalis, I meet people from the Himalayas that are in these unreached people groups all the time in Penang. So God is bringing them here to a place like Malaysia. And that's amazing. So perhaps the frontier, this idea of frontier missions is changing. Maybe the mission frontier 
is JB. Maybe it's a, the distant corner of JB that, where the gospel has not gone yet. And that is our frontier. And so uh, I want us to, uh, to think about uh, our, our city um, as a mission frontier. And I want us to think of Malaysia uh, the rest of that way. God might not call all of us to, to go to the backside of the Himalayas with the gospel, but he is calling us to stay here and God is bringing unreached peoples to our doorsteps across our street. And this is Malaysia. I mean, we have a majority people group here, uh, the majority people here that are 99.9% .9 unreached. So we don't have to go far to reach people with the gospel that have never heard and cross the street and do it. And so we have so much work to be done here. And I want us to grasp the, the gravity of the lostness around us. Um, 6,000 people groups in the world, uh, 2 billion people on the planet, they think that have still not heard the gospel. Millions of places without churches, neighborhoods here without churches in JB. That means billions of people each and every day are, hearing, are not able to hear the gospel and they're living and dying without ever tasting the grace of God that we are tasting in this, group, this room together today. This is, not, this is not okay. This should stir in us a holy ambition to get the gospel to the nations. And this is not something that should guilt us. I think sometimes we hear missions messages and we feel guilty. And, and maybe sometimes speakers and preachers, they do unrightfully guilt people into missions. But this is not a message of guilt. Guilt and shame has been dealt with at the cross of Christ. What this should do is convict us together that we need to go out and take the gospel uh, to our neighbors and to the nations. So folks, this is uh, what Paul is reminding the Roman Christians, and this is what I want to remind us here today, that we serve a global God. You can't escape it when you read the scriptures. He has always cared about the nations. You cannot escape this. And we live in a really unique time in the world today. So let's tune in to what God is doing and let's make it our aim to get the gospel to the nation starting here in JB. Well, uh, church, in closing, I, I wanna ask this question. How might God be encouraging us all together uh, to continue fostering and building an ambition to get the gospel to the ends of the earth? How might he be asking us uh, to steward uh, the resources that we have uh, for the mission uh, in JB? That's the question that we need to continue to ask ourselves. I know you're getting asked this question weekly, but let's remind ourselves of this question. How might he use us tomorrow, Monday, in JB, uh, to be a part of this amazing work of getting the gospel from here to the nations? Uh, it's my sincere hope and prayer. I've been praying for this church. Um, my wife and I and family will be joining this church, so we're praying for this church. And uh, I've been praying that this church would really be what this passage says, Christians that know the gospel, boldly proclaim the gospel, and boast in the gospel. Uh, and that the gospel would continue to go out from this church to Singapore, to every corner of JB, to the rest of Malaysia, and of course to the ends of the earth. So uh, let us pray. Father God, you are a good and gracious God. And your word says that um, you have established good works for us beforehand so that we may walk in them. Lord, there is a freedom and grace in doing gospel work. It's the freedom and grace of knowing that uh, it's not our work. 
and we don't have to feel the pressure of making people come to know you. It's out of the delight in knowing that you saved us, that we go out. It's thinking on what you have done in our lives. It's amazing that you would save us. And that because of that, we can go out in freedom and we can hope that you would save others. So I just pray, God, that this, that this word um, today from, from Romans 15, Lord, that it would just um, serve its purpose, Lord, as a reminder to us to continue doing the work that you've called us to as a church. God, you will complete your great commission. Uh, you will fulfill it through local churches, ordinary local churches like this one here. So help us, Lord, to be faithful and obedient. Help us to tune in to what you are doing. Help us to do this together, not by ourselves. Help us to encourage one another in the work. Uh, and we just pray that your, uh, your way and your, um, your purpose would be fulfilled here. Thank you for this church. Thank you for dying for us. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.